Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter 61. And now I want you to go back to your childhood days. For some of you, that's just a few days ago. For, uh, yeah, for Curtis, it's yesterday. For some, it's many years ago. Now, when Christmas time hits and the tree is put up, what are all the little things we put under the tree? Christmas presents. When you look under the tree and you begin to see presents, especially with your name on them, what did you do as a kid? I'm going to tell you what I did. I would pick them up and I would shake them. I would shake, rattle, and roll. Okay? And I would try to figure out, wonder what's under here. Sometimes I would even press the paper, praying that I would not tear the paper, and I would try to see maybe uh, where it was, where it was bought from, so I could kind of figure out. And typically when you press down on the paper, typically it's not a toy, it's clothes, right? (laughs) So I'd put that one back, and I'd go to one that would really shake and rattle so I could figure out, okay, I wonder what toy this is going to be. I had a friend when he was a little kid. He literally unwrapped all of his presents, looked at all of them, wrapped them all back up. Kids, do not go home and try this, okay, because it is not a good idea. Wrapped them all back up only for his mom to realize Christmas morning, you know what, son? You've done something because I did not wrap these gifts this bad. And so confession time came and he was in big time trouble. But when you think about it, when you look under the tree and you see a present, especially with your name on it, boy, anticipation builds, doesn't it? And even as an adult, you cannot wait to see what's underneath that paper. So anticipation is building that feeling of anticipation. I want you to think about that this morning as we go through this text. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some Old Testament prophecies about Advent, about the coming or the arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus. And we've been looking at the anticipation that the folks then had in their mind, the thought processes And as we've suggested, we stand on the other side and we see all of that. And we see exactly what Jesus came to do and how he lived his life. But only then the people could only anticipate the feeling that they were hearing about that would come true. And so what's going to happen this Christmas Is it going to be able to deliver everything that you really want? Not that you need it, but that you want it. Will Christmas ever deliver on my expectations? Or will it come and go quickly each year like it does? And in a flash, it's over. But what did we expect? There's a rather large portion of the Bible that deals with a group of people who had what I call sky-high expectations. 
They're the Jews, the nation of Israel. And by the time of Isaiah, the Jewish monarchy was in ruins. And after 586 B.C., most of them had been carted off by their captors to live in a foreign land. But they knew that they had been given a promise, as we saw last week from Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so they knew that a promise of somebody was coming. And all they knew was going to be a servant of the Lord. And they were told that it's going to be a lot better than anything they had ever seen up to this point in their life. The ninth chapter of Isaiah says it this way, beginning in verse 6. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, as we've sung about this morning, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's going to reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it forever. And so they knew a ruler is coming, a king. And so they used this special word to refer to this long-awaited person. That word was Messiah, which means anointed one or specially chosen one. And so in Greek, Messiah is synonymous with Christos, from which we get the word Christ. And so when he, this Christ, this Messiah, came, he's going to do some amazing things. That's what the prophecies tell. And so the year of the Lord's favor... Isaiah pins this in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them, look at the difference and look at the promise. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Get that in your mind. The splendor and the majesty of the coming of the Messiah. Because as we just read, at that time, man, the people were without hope. What they saw was not good. They were growing in despair day after day after day. And so while the most hopeful among the people of Israel and Judah envisioned one day taking back their homeland and recovering their independence, Isaiah's vision scoffed at such little dreams. Under the spirit-filled leadership of this new ruler, there would be more than just a return. There would be a whole new world awaiting them. There would be a totally different atmosphere. And so this new ruler would usher in a new day, 
a new year, as Isaiah says, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 25, the language suggests a reference that the ancient Jewish principle had called jubilee. Okay? God said, would you believe that after every 50 years, there's to be a year when prisoners and slaves are going to be set free. It's a year when land is returned to its original owners. It's a year when all debts are canceled. How would you like to receive that news December 26th? It was a great idea. But there's no evidence that the year of Jubilee was ever celebrated. So God says, what you won't do, I will do. And with the Messiah, I will bring the year of the Lord's favor. Now, with us on the other side this morning, I want you to think, what are your hopes? What are your desires of what Jesus can bring to you? Because sometimes I'm afraid that just like the people here, maybe sometimes our dreams are pretty small. The picture of God that I read about in the Bible says that when you dream, dream big. Because with God, God can always do more than we ask or imagine. If you don't hear anything else this morning, take that with you today. God can do more. That's what he's saying through Isaiah 61. God will do more. All this hype that we have, God's going to deliver and he's going to do a whole lot more than we can ever imagine. And so those little pint-sized dreams that we may have, you know what God says about them? That's good. But I'm going to show you that I'm going to do more than your pint-sized dreams. Praise God for that. And maybe what we need to do is to dream bigger and expect more from a holy God that loves us so much. Isaiah 35 says, when he comes, he's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to unstop the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will shout and sing. (coughs) That's a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? That's God saying, hey, don't stop there. I'm going to do more, and I'm going to work miracle after miracle after miracle. And so among the Jews who had returned from captivity there was a feeling in the air, a feeling of expectation. And it's so difficult for us to imagine just how intense the anticipation of the Messiah was among the Jewish communities of the day. I mean, at least the stranded nations of Israel and Judah had a promise to keep them going. They had been picked on for centuries, but all the while they were believing that they were God's chosen people. And even after they returned from captivity... They were quickly under the reign of another dictator. But still, there were those that said, God said somebody's coming. God told us a promise. And there were some that held on to that promise. And so among them, in their hearts, they longed. And you could hear them cry out, Come, 
Messiah, come, rescue us, deliver us, bring jubilee. So how many of us right now in our life are saying those same things? Come, Lord. If you're really Emmanuel, God with us, show us that. I need to feel that. I need to know that you're really with me right now. Not only do I need to know that you're with me, I need to know that you can come to me, that you can rescue me, that you can deliver me from my state that I'm in. What state are we in? We're sinners. But we are sinners saved by the blood of Jesus. So Isaiah says, the year of the Lord's favor is coming And when it comes, it's going to be sky high and it's going to pass all your expectations and it's going to be incredible. And so I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Where you see the goods that are delivered. In Luke chapter 4, John baptizes Jesus. And then as Luke 4 begins, immediately Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. And here's the very next thing that Luke records. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, who had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into their synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see what Jesus does? He reads from Isaiah 61 the words of the Messiah. And do you see what he says? What you've been waiting for is right here. It's fulfilled where? Not off in the distance. Where is it fulfilled? Before your very eyes. I mean, there he was. Standing right before them. And he says, what you've been waiting for is here. The scripture has come true before your very eyes. So in the air, there's a feeling, a feeling of expectancy that has brought you to this moment of realization. A moment of faith. Because for us, faith says Jesus is coming back. To them, all they could hear is, when's he going to come? On our side of the fence, 
He's already come. He's resurrected. But what's the promise? I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm not going to leave you in the state that you're in. I'm coming back. And when I come back, well, I find you ready. And so every day of life, what do we have the opportunity to do? To get ready. To get ready. Some put it off. I've got a very good friend in this community. Great guy. Didn't go to church much until about a year ago. His grandson was baptized into Christ. Went to him one day and said, Papa, we need to talk. And he was crying. He said, son, what is wrong? I mean, what happened? He said, I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm scared that you may not be there when I get there. And he said, what do you think about that? Papa started crying. He said, you know what? I need to do something about that because I'm not ready. And he told me this week, he said, Patrick, for the last year, I have not missed a church service with my grandson. And he began to realize, I need this more than just to please my grandson. I need it for me. Bunch of hype that some people think that Jesus is talking about, but when the goods are delivered, and he looks at us square in the face and proves that I can deliver on what I talk about, it wakes people up, doesn't it? And you know what? That has nothing to do with you and I. That has everything to do with God's power in his word. That's called conviction of heart. See, the birth of Jesus is wonderful. Love the story. But folks, Jesus doesn't stay a baby all of his life. He grows up and he matures and he walked the walk and he laid before us a path to follow. And when you follow down that path, he promises you good things will happen in your life. Your marriage will be different. The way you talk to people will be different. The way you treat your kids, the way you love, the whole world will be different because of Jesus. Praise God for that. And so I want you to look in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Jesus has delivered these goods. He's performing miracles and news about him spreads. And yet three chapters later from what we just read, John the Baptist is in prison wondering if his expectations were too high. And so in verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Great question. It's as if John's wondering, 
after all this buildup, is this all we get? I mean, I thought you're going to be this great ruler or a king, and I thought you were going to bring back Jubilee. And in his mind, he's saying, Jubilee really hadn't happened to me. And so he says, look at my life. Look at me. I'm stuck in this prison that I thought you'd overthrow, and this was supposed to be the year. What a letdown. What a letdown. Some of you, like John, are familiar with the disappointment of unrealized expectations. For you Dallas Cowboy fans, let me remind you of something. It's December. And are we surprised? What were the goods told to them? You got to win out to go to the playoffs. So today at 325, they start their journey for three more weeks. Now let me tell you, I'm a Cowboy fan, but if I'm let down on that, life still goes on. Amen? Now for you diehard Dallas Cowboy fans, I really just made a bunch of people mad, right? (laughs) Who knows? That's a little disappointment that we can get over, okay? Sometimes there's big disappointments that come that we don't know what to do. And for John right here, so far the Messiah hadn't lived up to his expectations. There's this feeling in the air and it's gone, but was Jesus really a letdown? Look at verse 22, 21 and 22. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and what you've heard, that the blind do receive sight, the lame will walk, those who have leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now what is Jesus proving there? Hold your horses, don't get in a hurry, because about the time that you think I'm not going to do something, I'm going to surprise you and I'm going to do a whole lot more. That's paraphrased in a nutshell, okay? But you know what? As I read that, there's a little bit of John in all of us, isn't there? Maybe there's a lot of John in us. I don't know. But Jesus is bringing all of what we started with in Isaiah 61. A crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. Only Jesus can deliver that. There was only one Savior of the world, and today as we speak, there's still only one Savior of the world that can save us from our sins. That's Jesus. And he's always going to be able to deliver that. John the Baptist's expectations weren't too high. They were way too low. 
And I want you to hear these words this morning from C.S. Lewis's famous work, The Weight of Glory, because he captures some of the longings that we have during this time of the year. He says, ah, but we want so much more. Something the books on aesthetics take little notice of, but the poets and mythologies know about it. We don't merely want to see beauty, though God knows that it's bounty enough. We want something else that can hardly be put into words to be united with the beauty that we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. That's why the poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a human soul, but it can't. They tell us that the beauty born of a murmuring sound will pass into a human face, but it won't, or at least not yet. And he goes on to say, the door on which we have been knocking all of our lives will finally open at last. And so maybe all of our life, maybe we've been expecting too much out of Christmas and not enough of Jesus. Jesus can do more. Amen. And in order for people outside of this building to understand that and to believe it, maybe he's knocking on the door of our heart right now to use us to, in a small way, help somebody else realize, wow, who is this man called Jesus? What will you say? And how will you live that out right now? Because people are watching. People are watching you. <clears throat> will your faith be strong enough to show them, look at what my Savior can do, look at what he's done, and look at what he will continue to do for the world. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of your glory and your majesty. And Father, we just are amazed. At one moment in Scripture, we read about people's doubts of you. And the next moment, we read about you doing great things. Help us to have a faith. that believes that and father just like Mary when she found out that she was going to be the mother of your son thank you for her humble example and help us to have a spirit of humility that when you call on us to be about something that we will answer that call. Father, we thank you for bringing beautiful things into our life. Thank you, Father, for your Son and our Savior, and it's through his name we pray. Amen.